0: Well, Again, I hope you are doing well. It's good to be with you. I hope you uh, find a connection here at Trinity. I hope, if you are visiting, that you will uh, come to know that uh, our welcome is strong, and it will continue beyond just uh, just one Sunday. So, uh, we hope that you will uh, return again, and may God really rich, uh, richly bless our time in His Word—a familiar text—and may He use this to prepare us for. The Lord's table, which is to come. I am not really quite over Jonah chapter one, uh, our rascal prophet. Um, as often as I've as I've read it or heard about Jonah, that's quite a bold move on his part. Last week we looked at the idea that Jonah had a secret to be exposed, and today I want to look at the idea that. Uh, a change was going on in Jonah's life. You, we can hear his prayer there in chapter 2. Um, but there's a change going on, and the change, the key would be that Jonah could see his problem, and then he could be given the desire to have his problem addressed. It's one thing to see your problem, but then to have a desire to have it addressed. I remember attending a Christian Counseling and Education Foundation CCEF conference in Pennsylvania, and they had this really neat moment during the conference when there was probably 1,500 people there who were Christian counselors, pastors, people in the church who helped in specific ways in counseling, and they had the counselors from this Philadelphia office, about a dozen, maybe seven or eight, I don't want to say seven or eight counselors on stage. And they had microphones out in the audience. And then they had um, a, mo- a moderator, and someone was asking these counselors on the stage, a, they were presenting a scenario. Hey, how would you respond to this? And so we're all on the edge of our seats. We're going to watch what's, what's called CCF Live. And so it's right here. How would they respond? So the counseling scenario, one was given of a marriage that was sort of, just sort of stuck. They were not happy with each other, but they were also not going anywhere as a couple. And they described sort of what it was like for this couple to sort of live in sort of a separate way of living, and in their, in their, their, they had a, a common address, but they really didn't have a lot going on in their marriage. Where would you start? They've come, they've come for counseling. Where would you start? What what would you get going with? And so there were some good ideas, and then one counselor said this. He said, well, that couple could probably go on for maybe 10 or 20 more years because I don't sense there's any traction in them. In other words, they're not bothered (laughs) by anything. You've given me a scenario of people who have just sort of settled on this is the way our marriage is. He says, it could go on for 10 or 20 more years because there's no traction. Everybody can I, you connect with that term? This means that someone's not bothered enough, and if they showed up for counseling, we're not sure what, what would really be accomplished because they don't have any desire to really change. Now, I identify with that. I don't really have any desire to change. Sometimes our elders help me with a desire for change. But I don't go to an elders meeting with, oh, this is great. I I am just bubbling over with desires for change. It's It's not in me. Is it in you? Desires for change. Attraction. Attraction's going on right now. Attraction's happening inside me. It's interesting, isn't it? With that in mind, let's ask God to give us traction. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we would make a great mistake here to think this is all about one person's eloquence, or this is about an organized presentation, or this is about human words at all. We would make a big mistake to think this is just church on a Sunday morning. Father, this is a, a, an encounter with you that is to revive our hearts, to make our souls understand what we've been made for. This is a big moment, and it's bigger than me, and I can't make it happen. I can't make you show up, and that's for all our good. So I express to you my utter need for you to make sense of my words And to help us hear these things together, put in us a desire for change. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So I'm going after this Jonah character, and I'm going to come at him from the angle of problems. Problems. There's a problem in Jonah's life. I think there's four there. I'm always looking for a different angle on the text. Some of you look at me sort of quizzically after after church, say, I didn't see that in the text, but uh, that's an interesting angle on it there. Um, So I'm trying a different angle here, and that is there's a problem or problems in Jonah's mindset, his way of thinking, his way of being. So first of all, I want to suggest to you there's a problem in Jonah's world. So Jonah's world. Uh, perhaps the word is worldview. Some of you in, you know, Christian education circles, or maybe you've heard this term worldview, and so how we see things. Here's the here's the here's the my my understanding of Jonah. Jonah has a problem with his world, and here is it. This is it. He thinks the world is a place to be used. the, the sea is just something to be traveled upon. People, the sailors, remember the sailors, chapter 1? Sailors exist to be deceived. Uh, He has fabricated an imaginary world. There's a boat to be used. There's money to be used. He has imagined a world where he can go about his own way and live apart from the living God. This is where a child, listening to the Jonah chapter 1, realizes Jonah's running from the presence of God, goes on a boat to Spain, trying to get to Spain, and even little children can say, you, you, you can't do that. You just can't do that. Jonah has a problem with his understanding of the world. He thinks he can rightly interpret the world apart from divine revelation. He can rightly interpret his role in the world apart from what God has said. Romans 1 is very instructive at this point. Romans 1.21, although they knew God, had divine revelation, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They had revelation, and they turned away from that revelation, thinking they could rightly interpret the world, didn't need God. Romans 1, this is it and they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Jonah, turning away from divine revelation, his foolish heart was darkened. What what that looks like is reasonable selfishness, a reasonable inward focus, I can choose, I can make my own way in the world, I can rightly interpret my world because the world exists to serve my purposes. That's me, I'm the front of the line. That's why people exist, to further my goals. Now, what I say is that I'm saying is that he has a problem here and God's going to reveal the problem to him and he begins now in the waves And now he describes it in chapter 2 that he is under the waves, he is in the water, and he is in the process of drowning. And uh, uh, you can't see a lot without a good mask underwater, but Jonah describes the bottom of of the sea. And he is floating, waiting for death. that will reorient your world won't it it has a certain power to it would you agree getting close to death he had closed himself off from revelation of god and now he has an interest in god this has been heightened by his situation he's been closed off from what's real And now what's real is really real. And it's a problem. And God is using a crisis. It's a life and death kind of crisis to wake Jonah up. And he begins reflecting, reflecting on God's mercy. And here it is, chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And, surprise, surprise, he answered me. This is the one who turned away. This is the one who said, I can define reality apart from God's revelation. I can define what's real. And now he is close to death, and he is crying out to God, and surprise, God answers him. And it's interesting, as we look at this text, verse 3, for instance, chapter 2, God describes the waves as, excuse me, Jonah describes the waves as God's waves, We're making progress. (laughs) Suddenly, everything becomes God's. I call to the Lord out of my distress. The distress is rooted in my view of the world. I tried to manipulate. I tried to manage. I tried to control. It has not worked. I am no longer on the ship. I'm now floating to the bottom of the sea, distress. Disobedient, through a twisted understanding of the world, I can just run from God. Probably the core issue of the unbelieving heart. I can just run from God. So, it's interesting is that the New Testament presents us with right thinking about our world. The New Testament presents our thinking, right thinking about the world, through Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection. This is how we're to rightly understand our world, rightly interpret our world. This is the reorientation of your mind, Not just some sort of a little wisdom book to get your life going and sort of get get things you want out of life. It's a reorientation to God's world and the center of this world. This moment right, right now relates directly to Jesus Christ, his person and work. So we are called to put on the lens of scripture to see the world rightly. To to do that, we must repent, and we're making progress in the Christian life through repentance. In Colossians three, we are encouraged to put to death what uh, put to death what is earthly in us. Earthly in us. Jonah is earthly. He's got his own way of dealing with his desires. And he's using the world to get his desires met. And we are called to now look at two aspects of this world, things, what are things for, and what are people for. And as we are reoriented, as we begin to think differently through Jesus Christ, we now know what things are for, they're not to own us, what people are for, that we're to love them, need them less, we're... In other words, we're getting a whole new orientation to God's world through the cross. It's really, really encouraging. It's good stuff. Now, secondly, I want you to notice there's a problem with Jonah's view of God. And and I I think this this arises throughout the whole prayer, but verses 4 through 7, let's hear these. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life; the deep surrounded me; weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever; yet you brought me brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple from the bottom of the sea, all the way up into heaven. Jonah sensed a connection with God, sensed the forgiveness of God, and his view of God has changed. He's suddenly become interested in the mercy of God. This has become important to him. Chapter 1, it wasn't important. Jonah had a problem with his view of God. He didn't see God as, as something Good and, uh, and someone who is merciful toward Israel's enemies, uh, 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 uh. we need the day of judgment now. And that was, that was the only usefulness that God had in Jonah's world or his understanding. The only usefulness of God in Jonah's understanding was if Jonah could come and judge the Ninevites. Now this, uh, ask, we now ask the question of ourselves, Um, what what is in my mind when I think about God is, is the mercy of God central to my understanding of God mercy of God and I would suggest to you as Christians that needs to be central in our understanding of God we don't do well with justice, though we should strive for justice and justice in this world, we, we need to really remember the mercy of God toward us, and that will give us a humble heart toward other people. Um, as I've often said, it's difficult to be right, right. So you may be right in your theology, but your attitude toward those who are not in alignment with your theology is actually the problem. So the humility of God, the humility that comes to us through mercy, is actually the way in which we become useful for God's purposes. Through mercy, Jonah now is becoming a prophet who can be used of God. Through mercy. So, um, Jonah now reflects on being brought up from the pit. He's aware that in the belly of the fish... He is going to live. When he lands on the beach and walks around and the sand is coming up between his toes and he's looking up into the bright sun and uh, maybe the fish waves goodbye to him. And, uh, And Jonah's walking about. What's in his mind about God as he walks to this very dangerous city? There has to be a very deep level of understanding about the mercy of God. It's interesting that, of course, the ultimate and, and final prophet, Jesus Christ, the one that we are to look at and be the center of our worship, Jesus Christ, crucified between two thieves. Um, we can assume that they were uh, rightly judged by a human court. Uh, whether or not a thief deserves death or not, in our culture I don't think we quite our day and age we don't quite agree with that but it's interesting Jesus Christ who has a greater sense of justice and righteousness than any of us doesn't condemn these men doesn't pile on he's patient he has no impulse to judge them it's interesting He's willing to bear up with this world and to enter into the the suffering and difficulties of this world and to wait for the day of judgment. And for us, the day of judgment has passed. The most extraordinary aspect, the central aspect of the Christian faith is that your sins have been forgiven and you don't have to wait until judgment day to know that. And you can know it now. And that mercy of God extended to you and to me is to change us. This was the great surprising announcement of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has come And that has come in its spiritual form at this stage, meaning the forgiveness of sins is declared to people, and they don't have to be anxious about the day of judgment, and to live in the mercy of God, enjoy it. And that is what Jonah begins to experience. His view of God is changing. And then I I think there's an unseen need in Jonah. Uh, Jonah, uh, verses 8 through 9, let's just read this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in verse 4 and verse 7, he also says that he shall look upon God in his holy temple. Now, Jonah is in this creature, and he's there three days and three nights in utter darkness, praying this prayer. And he is confident that he will have access to God's very presence. What's Jonah's unfelt need? Is the presence of God. What's Jonah's biggest need? Is the presence of God. For you and for me, what is your biggest need today? What is pressing in on you? What's the source of your discontentment? What is it that you're chasing after with your energy? Are we living out of our true need, and that is for the presence of God? As you read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, really the the highlight of the early chapters of creation is that God is in the midst of, of mankind. That's the big deal. God is among man in the garden. God's presence is known and experienced and enjoyed. What is the tragedy of the human condition? We've been banished from the presence of God. The the overarching theme of the Bible is a restoration where God is now in the middle of his people again. That starts in Genesis 3.15 with the promise of a redeemer. So the whole, the whole plan of salvation is to bring God's presence back in the midst of his people, and we are experiencing it today. The gathered church is a manifest expression of the presence of God. Uh, it's special to gather around the kitchen table with your family. God is present with you. But it's very, very different to gather with God's people, and his presence is sensed and felt in a greater way. That's what church is like. What is our greatest need? We have all been taught that um, our needs in in a very psychologized society, um, where everything is defined by psychology, we have been taught that we have sort of this this right to our, our needs being met. Well, let me tell you, if you turn me loose on that idea... I have an endless need bucket. And it doesn't have a bottom to it. And if I could figure out how to make all of you work for my needs, I would try it. And you might try it. And maybe you've tried it with all the people around you, the people at work, your family. They exist to meet your needs. You're on a great need search. And this is the quest of your life, and you can read Self Magazine, and it can tell you all about this—how legitimate this need search is. If you were interviewing Jonah on the deck of the ship, how's it going? Who are you? I'm Jonah. So, uh, what are your needs? Oh, I don't know. I just need a break. Uh, what are yours? Yeah, I just need some sun. In other words, we never quite get it right at this level. Have you ever had an experience in church where your true need was shown to you? I hope that happens regularly. We're in the process of discovering our true need over and over in fellowship groups and prayer. By the way, that's why we don't pray. Because we don't want to experience our need. That's why we resist it. We are convinced we can meet our own needs. The presence of God is something we can use when we, when we need it, but it's not our deep, deep need. Progress in the Christian life is discovering our need for Christ over and over. So, uh, Jonah knows that his great need is to experience God's presence again. And in his time, that would have been through the temple, through the temple. So um, my desires are too strong, too oriented around my world. And now Jonah is, I'm like Jonah, and Jonah now sees in verse 6, you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit. That was my true need. And now you've given me access to your presence. That's my true need. And now I can see, Lord of the Rings fans, now I can see what has dehumanized me, what has golemized me. Remember that ring? I could hold up a ring. I can see it. I thought that was my true need. And now you realize how infinitely patient God has been toward you. More patient, and He has been merciful to you. And uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, or how many uh, merit badges you've earned, or whatever you think you've got going for you, your need is just as desperate as any Ninevites. You have no righteousness of your own. And if God saved you from the pit, you're tasting his mercy. And this should invade our personal life, our fellowship groups, our prayer. Lord, don't let me golemize my needs. Don't let them own me. And so, one last little thought. And as the, as the fish vomits Jonah up. Quite a statement there, I think. Uh, The only obedient one in the story so far is a fish. Uh, Jonah can't even travel to Nineveh on his own. And if he does travel in the right direction, he can't take any credit for it. Typical man, is that right, ladies? Never asking for directions. C.S. Lewis said this. He said how difficult it is to avoid having a special standard for oneself. Jonah has a special standard for himself. And do you know what's happening in the story here? And then I'm done. You know what's really happening in the story? Jonah is entering the rest of the world. He's not that special. He's sort of just a, common, he's a commonplace sinner. He's got standard sins. What I mean by that is that, of course you run from the presence of God. What I mean by that is, is that is that, Jonah now has to recognize he's not the center of the world. He never was intended to be. And now he can see his world and God and his need more clearly. And you know what God is saying through this story? As Jonah now makes his way on the beach and pulls the junk off him or whatever's remaining on him. Is his his skin now bleached from stomach acids. What's happened to this man? He's, he's trying to get back to, get back to uh, on his feet. You know what God's saying? Let's do this again, Jonah. And you know what God is saying in the big picture of the world? Let's do it again. I'm not giving up on you. The mercy of God extends far longer than we thought. In the cup and the bread, God saying to you, this Sunday, let's do it again. I can restore you. I can give you a heart for me. I can meet your truest and deepest need. And I can train you and teach you to live from that, to live from that. Let's pray. Lord, there was a man who walked on the beach and he couldn't take any credit for it. Lord, you've caused us to walk upright again. You've caused us to, to now go in your direction. <laughs> you've caused us now to, to become human all over again and to receive your revelation. Thank you for your kindness in Jesus Christ, which is such a beautiful revelation that in all the scriptures we find your pattern of coming after sinners with a with a mercy that is it makes them burn in the heart. Thank you for your gospel today. We confess to you, Lord, we need you to completely reorient our lives. And we will say that again next time we gather, and we will keep saying it. And we will thank you that you will not have us stop saying it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.